Hi there, and welcome to bonus episodes of Typical Books. These are excerpts from the Typical Books monthly horror magazine, a subscription podcast that offers interviews with authors and artists and essays about horror fiction uncut. You can find that on Patreon slash Typical Books and Apple Podcasts by searching Typical Books. These episodes may be offered in parts, so take a look at the title. It will indicate how many parts there are to this episode. And as ever, enjoy as we talk to writers about writing. So, on with the show. Celso Hurtado was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. He has been a punk guitarist, worked in the political arena, and has played entirely too many hours of The Legend of Zelda. In his writing, he strives to surprise his readers and make them think twice before investigating that creak in the hallway. The Ghost Tracks is his first novel, a young adult paranormal thriller out now from Ink Shares. Welcome to the show, Celso. Is there any plans to carry on this particular track? No pun intended. <laughs> so, um, you know, originally, when I originally had the idea, it was not conceived as a series. And when I got with Ink Shares, they were very interested in keeping the option alive for it to be a series. So I did tweak the story a bit to leave that option available to us. So, you know, it kind of depends. It depends on if the book has continued success. And, uh, you know, since I didn't really have it in mind, if, I, if there's an idea that I am happy with, if I, that I feel comfortable with, I kind of threw everything in the kitchen sink at this story. There are, you know, three completely different paranormal stories, including Erasmo's own kind of history that he has to grapple with. So I kind of threw everything out there. I've been kicking around ideas for another Ghost Tracks book. Um, so depending on how things go, uh, it's definitely a, definitely a, a possibility. Hmm, that makes sense. And that's good. I'm very relieved to hear that just as a fan of this first book. But I get it. You know, my one and only novel has a sequel kind of bubbling under the surface and it wasn't meant to really have a sequel, but it ends in a way that it lends itself to it. So yeah, it works very, very well as a standalone either way. I'm just, I'm just very interested in this story now, triply interested that I know it exists. That's crazy. Yeah. I, um, I think my only hesitation about a sequel is I just wouldn't want it to be a version of him just coming along and solving different cases. Like it's important to me that he I mean, I know this is obviously the obvious writer thing, but that he changed substantially in some way, or at least wrestles with himself in, in different ways. And, you know, he already has a lot of that in the first book. So it have to be done in such a way that I feel comfortable that the he, yes, he's working on these paranormal cases, but that there is something in his life that he is worth kind of writing another book about, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. And you know, it is good that there is a pretty big cast of characters in this. It could go very many, very, very many different ways if there were uh, a continuation of Rathmo's story. That would be interesting to see regardless of whether it is another paranormal case or just him rambling about San Antonio. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to live down his past, you know, because it is that compelling. And you've woven a very, very rich tapestry now this was your first novel. Had you done other writing or short stories or experimented with publication in any other way before? Absolutely nothing. 
that this was the first thing. And then that, and that's what I was saying. Like, that is why it took me so long because I would literally like write a chapter and read it and like, Oh my God, this is terrible. Let me go write, let me go read a few books. Then I'll come back and write another chapter and be like, wait a minute, how do you transition from this tense to this tense? I don't know how to do it. I'm gonna do some online research. So it was very much that, you know, kind of fumbling my way through. I feel like I could write one a lot faster now because I know a lot of things I didn't know before, right? But um, I, you know, I read the funniest thing on Twitter the other day and it kind of summed up my experience. They asked this person about their writing process and I wish I knew who it was, but uh, she said that she flailed around until there was a book in front of her. <laughs> and I said, man, that, that is kind of what it felt like for me. Um, so, you know, hopefully in the second go around, my writing process will be a little smoother. Oh, for sure. I can imagine because you've learned so much and put so much into it. And when you had said uh, that, you know, you can you can see the the book for what it is and there's like it is a debut work and, and you're very aware of that wait 10 years and see what you think I think you'll be still impressed like I really do think so so I'm very interested to see how your writing process goes since it did take quite a while uh, I take it that you didn't write every single day or have like a real regiment to your writing for all that time did you develop one as you went yeah that's a good question so it kind of it kind of depended. So if I knew where I was going, you know, I had mentioned earlier that sometimes I would write myself into corners and I left myself a mystery I didn't know how to solve. I wasn't writing because I was racking my brain. If that counts as writing, then I guess, but really I was just, you know, kind of staring at myself in the mirror, like, why did you do this? But if I knew where I was going, like if I was in a good place and I was writing every day, I wanted to make progress. So other than life getting in the way, I, I would write every day until I hit another roadblock. And then I'd give myself some time to let it marinate. Like for me, I have to let things marinate sometimes and let me mull it over, my, let my subconscious bubble up a little bit. And a lot of times it resolved itself. You know, I am envious when I see somebody on Twitter, fellow writers, they oh, knocked out 3,000 today. I knocked out 5,000. I don't know how people do that. I am so slow. I am so slow. A good day for me, even if I'm writing every day, a good day for me, if I get to 300 words, I'm happy. I feel great. I, I accomplished something. If I have a weekend day to myself and I get to like 600, 700, this pop open the champagne because that's like a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I am naturally slow. But I, like I said, I, I think um, I think I could do it quicker now. I think one thing that I would I'm going to try to do, and I'm already kind of doing this. Like I said, I do have a few ideas I'm working on now, including sketching out another Ghost Tracks book in case it comes to that. But, you know, what I'm doing actually very similar to what I did the first time. I am a plotter for sure. You can probably tell there's just kind of, there's some moving parts in this, in this Ghost Tracks book. So it, I had to keep everything kind of clear in my head where I was going with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I didn't want to be too regimented where I didn't have the option of changing things. So each chapter I'd say, man, maybe two or three lines of this is what happened in this chapter, the next chapter, similar thing. Then when I got there, if what I planned didn't make sense or I felt like, hey, you know what? This chapter needs to be him breathing a little bit after the craziness of what happened in the last chapter. Let's let him do that. Um, so while I do want to know what's gonna happen before I start each chapter, I definitely leave room for things to change, for the plan to change. And it did. I mean, you know, as a writer, things never go according to plan, mm -hmm. but I think it was better for it. 
you know, because I think some of the changes I ended up making really made it better. I can see that as well in that there are a lot of moving parts, like you said, but it works so very organically. And those sort of organic writing things, unless it's all just birthed out in a fever dream, like those 5,000 word a day writers, which is a very rare move for me. 500, 600 words is is nice when I'm writing every day. I think that's a very, very commendable goal. And, you know, the, the sort of organic stories are not birthed whole cloth. So I had a, I had a feeling that there was a lot of not stop and start, but that that plotting, but letting it be an organic human. Like he is very much a, a believable organic human uh, as a character. So I could imagine that he would be telling you what he wants to do kind of in the next section. So I can see that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it's like, you know what you want to happen, but you know, you have to look at it and this doesn't make sense. He wouldn't be acting this way right now. And it's not true to his nature, like you said, uh, especially because he's so, you know, skittish. And you, like you said, he has these visceral reactions. It wouldn't make sense for the next chapter after something strange for him to just, all right, let's start this next thing. It's going to have, you know, have, need some time to recover and, and, and that sort of thing. So I did have to end up working that in. And when I plotted it out, I didn't think about those kinds of things, but the story made it clear to me often that uh, there needed to be a little bit of a break, a little breather in there. Well, the ghost tracks is real. We know San Antonio is real and Rasmo feels real. But is John F. Dubois real? I completely made him up. He is not real at all. All wow. of his writings are, are just me thinking about what he might say. Someone like him might say, um, but yeah, I just um, I just made him up. Um, so I have gotten that question before um, about who this person is and how come they never heard of him. But that would be because he didn't exist until until the ghost tracks. That makes sense for the listeners who haven't had a chance yet to read the ghost tracks. There are, like we've alluded to before, there is like a grimoire or diary that he has of this occultist, this uh, exorcist, basically, sort of person who he reads who he's found in his father's belongings. So he has been reading this as his guiding light to paranormal investigations, dealing with ghosts and demons and all those sorts of things. And it reads like a mix between what Father Karras might have left his progeny and Carlos Castaneda. If you've read any other Carlos Castaneda, had you ever read any of the Carlos Castaneda work? No, I have not. I'm not. It's got a same sort of vibe. So I'm a little surprised you hadn't read any but it is just sort of this person leaving their writings for the next in line sort of feel. And I guess that that is written a particular way as it is. And you've done a really good job to the point that I didn't want to look it up before speaking to you. I wanted to ask point blank uh, because it is written well enough that I thought, you know, this could be taken from old writings. Like John D was the occultist to the queen for years in I guess Elizabethan eras and it reminds me a lot of his writings too so I'm like is this an occultist that I might have missed <laughs> but no fully of your own cloth that's really fantastic wow. well I appreciate you saying that because I struggle with that voice a little bit I'm like how can I make this sound authentic so I I revised those chapters quite a bit until I was kind of pretty happy with how it sounded so that really warms my heart because that that was a little bit of a struggle for me well, it's not apparent because it reads very, very well. And I, I like that mix too. That's part of that extra darkness too, that he's dealing with some real esoterica there. Not like he's learning this off the internet so much, or, you know, it's all hearsay. 
that he's learning from like the teenagers, the older teenagers and stuff that he's got this like coveted book, <laughs> this manuscript. I think that that adds a whole other level of darkness to what he's doing. Now, I'm glad to hear you say that. And, you know, going back to, to the writing process and how um, things evolve and change, that was a late addition to the ghost tracks. None of that even existed until fairly late in the process. Um, so, um, but it's one of those things where like we had talked about leaving, leaving yourself open to making these changes and leaving room for it to breathe can yield good results sometimes if you let it. Not that it's a very small, small part of the book, not as big as what he's dealing with in familial things, whether it be his father or grandmother or his friend Rat. I haven't even mentioned Rat, who I love so much. His friendship with Rat is is interesting and kind of almost brotherly, more brotherly than anything. I really like them. And it takes up a lot of time and real estate in the book where these sections where he's learning and relaxing and rereading for the most part, because this is something he's read many, many times. It's become ingrained in his personality. He doesn't spend a lot of time really doing it, but it, it comes across as something that is so very important to him because it's sort of like the whole world shuts down and he focuses on reading this. And I think that the reader in turn has that like same sort of reaction. So yeah, really well done, really well done. Thank you, thank you. I'm wondering, does this speak to other authors that you probably read? Like what are your some of your favorite authors or do you often turn to horror and paranormal work like this in your leisure time? So, I mean, I'm going to give you the most cliche answer in the world, but only because it's true. I mean, I grew up reading every Stephen King I could get my hands on. I mean, I just, that I read Misery. I probably read it about 50 times if I read it once. Um, and it really had a, an effect on me. Like, that is probably the reason, like most horror authors, that I wanted to have a go at it. Um, so, I mean, nowadays, um, you know, someone like Gabino Iglesias, I love a whole lot. Um, Nick Cutter, I read The Troop not that long ago, and man, that really, that really affected me. Uh, I am not, I'm a little squeamish, okay? Um, and so uh, reading The Troop, I loved it so much, but um, some of the parts were hard to get through. So uh, Cynthia Belayo, I've been, you know, the Children of Chicago, I thought that was great. Those are some of my favorites. The genesis of all this was definitely reading Stephen King when I at an impressionable age. It's weird. So many writers and like you say, it, it sounds cliche. Yeah, because it's, it's true. And we all preface it with that for whatever <laughs> reason. But yeah, no. And it's usually at a younger age, too, which is, is a cool part that not only did he grab our imaginations, scare us, but not too much because he's uh, depending on what it was. I know a lot of people started out with Pet Cemetery is like one of the number one books named among authors, specifically female authors too. And having read it at a super young age, what were some of those first Stephen King novels for you? So um, I read it, um, which, you know, was definitely affecting misery, like I said. Yeah, misery. Um, the, the stand, you know, the stand, um, it blew me away. It, and it still does because like the ghost tracks is a very kind of contained story. It happens in one city and, you know, there's obviously there's several locations throughout the city. But when I read the stand and his imagination of taking how this virus affected the whole world, like, man, I just couldn't imagine. Like, I think that in itself, I think, kind of stopped me from writing for a while because I'm like, I could never do something like that. It's so vast. 
Um, and it's kind of something that I've been thinking about lately. Like, could I do that if I tried it? You know, could I imagine what might happen in New York or Las Vegas and, you know, just something that sprawling? That really affected me because I could see how he did it and made it so great. Um, I mean, th those are three of the, of, I think, of the top Stephen King books that really kind of affected me. Pet Cemetery 2. Pet Cemetery 2. <laughs> I mean, I remember yeah. just, gosh, when I realized what was going to happen to Gage, it was just like, oh my goodness. I would say those. That's right around when I started reading all that stuff. And to your point, yeah, you know, at that impressionable age, I thank my parents for letting me read them. You know, I was probably <laughs> kind of too young for them, yeah. but they encouraged me to read. And, you know, that's probably where some of this, I told you I have a darker sensibility in general, I think as most of us do. And I'm sure some of it came from reading that. I'm grateful though. I'm grateful though, because, you know, I read other than horror too. Like the, another book that I always think about is Lonesome Dove. I read that at a very impressionable age too. I just love that book so much. But just that love of reading in general, I'm just grateful that my parents kind of gave that to me and passed that on. It's really, really affected me profoundly. I do love when parents have an attitude of it doesn't matter what they're reading as long as they're reading. Um, were your parents horror readers or literature lovers in that way as well? You know, it's funny because my dad gave me both Pet Cemetery and Lonesome Dove. So he was, he read kind of whatever was, was around. Yeah. And I'm kind of like that too. Uh, and so there wasn't one particular thing that I think that he kind of stuck to. And so, you know, my mom would read them too. She was a lot slower though. She would take her finger and slowly go through the pages and stuff, but we all would kind of read the same books that were in the house. So, so it was nice. Like looking back, um, I can see how much of a gift that was. Um, you know, I have a 13 year old daughter now. And so, you know, she asked to read the ghost tracks. I was like, well, okay, if you, if you want to read it, I'm going to let you read it. Um, so kind of, carrying that on a little bit like you said as long as you're reading something that um, i'm fine with that if i were 13 year old daughter of you as a writer and reading this i would be so blown away with the skill i wouldn't be able to believe that my dad had written that wow that must be a real real interesting angle for her too um hopefully this rubs off we have another another generation of her Tato's writing that would be really cool that would be especially cool for you having read at a young age like that, some darker fare and being able to write the darker fare, I guess there's no better parental approval than having written the dark book yourself. No, that's true. You know, it's been, yeah, I think it's been interesting for her too. You know, you asked about the book signing and so she was there obviously. And I think it was a strange experience to see people like stand in line to talk to her dad who she just knows as, as me, you know? So um, I, I'm, I'm glad that the thing I'm glad about with her is that, uh, you know, again, going into a little bit of a cliche, but just seeing that if you really put your mind to something like, you know, like George McFly, if you're really working at something that you can, you can manage it, you know, it can, it can happen. Um, you know, I set out to write this book and it's out, whatever it sells or doesn't sell like it, I managed to get it out there. And I wanted her to see that if you really, really want something, do everything you can to, to make it happen. So that, that I'm, that I'm happy about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's a fantastic goal. That really is. Now, you had said with the writing that you didn't have any formal training whatsoever, and you had plunged into this story a number of years ago. And really, it was a DIY effort. And it also says in your bio that you were a punk guitarist. Is this sort of like, go get it, make it real, DIY sort of punk ethic? 
Is that part of what drives you, figure? Hmm, that's a good question. So, you know, the the punk band is interesting. You know, sometimes I feel like um, I have just had the fortune of knowing amazing people. So the lead singer in the band, he he was all the musical talent. I was kind of along for the ride on this, <laughs> but he was such an interesting person. Uh, he was diabetic, and so he was actually blind. So our lead singer was this um, blind, you know, really talented punk musician. And he wrote these great songs. He was so musically talented. I was just blown away. He came in one day and said, hey, I've started writing some songs. And they were just the best thing. I played guitar too. So I said, you know what, let's do it. We knew a drummer. And so we started playing around San Antonio and got invited to play in some other cities around, around Texas. And it was a lot of fun. It was like just some of the best moments of my life. Unfortunately, he did get sick and he did pass away later on, but we had some good years playing in the band. Um, but it was mainly, mainly him. Like, like I said, I was along for the ride and I enjoyed all of it. You know, as far as, you know, the DIY part of it, um, I, you know, like I said, I'm kind of a loner introvert by nature. And if I can do something on my own, I try to. Um, having said that, one of the things that I am most happy with now that my name is out there a little bit more is that I know more writers than I used to. <laughs> so now I feel like there are people I can actually go to. Like I didn't know anybody before. Like I was nowhere for me to turn. There aren't that many people, you know, out there in my orbit trying to write. But now um, part of this process was getting on social media and interacting with people. And so I am very much looking forward to having beta readers now that I didn't really have before. Um, so it's it's too early to hit you up, but I might at some point. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, for sure. For and sure. so I'm excited about this. I'm excited. P part of it was out of necessity. I didn't know anybody. But now I feel like, you know, I've made a lot of friends, I think, uh, as this has unfolded. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. That's a perfect sort of way to have a debut. I, and I thought that being on TV and having a... <laughs> really cool signing was the perfect fairy tale thing but when you when you phrase it like that it's that larger network and having those things in place like mentors and peers and beta readers and all of those sorts of things that can do nothing but make your next book better when your first book is is just fine you know i think that's that's really rich and that's a, that's a wonderful way to look at it really wonderful now what is next on the horizon we sort of talked around the idea of maybe maybe sequels and stuff but have you been thinking of submitting short stories or working on doing a workshop or mentoring or anything like that so in the very 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 short term meaning next month um <laughs> crime reads has asked me to do a guest essay on their website uh and so it's going to be on urban legends um because that's what the ghost tracks is about and storytelling principles that we can extract from urban legends. Because, you know, these are stories that stay with us. So kind of exploring how do they have this staying power? How do they grab us? What can we as storytellers learn from this? So I'm going to be talking about four different urban legends here in San Antonio. Um, so that should be up sometime in December. Um, I am currently sketching out two books. One hopefully a sequel to the ghost tracks another in another one just a totally original new idea 
that I've been kicking around. Mm -hmm. So I have tried to write some short stories, Lydia, and it has not gone well. <laughs> so th this is de this is definitely a, a weakness of mine. I'm just in awe at these short story writers that can just produce just, gosh, these great stories, just one after the other. I think the way my mind works is in these a little bit longer, intricately plotted stories. That That's just, I think, how how the only way I can really do it. Um, so I don't have any plans for that, but I'm going to be spending definitely my next few months plotting out these two books and seeing how that goes. And if everything looks good, I'll start working on these things as well as this essay I have coming out next month. Yeah, it really depends on what grabs you, right? And what grab what drags you down its own rabbit hole. Uh, was at a meeting not long ago with writers and it seemed very split 50 50 we we're talking about like what sort of workshops ideas would be want to maybe entertain in the future and all the novelists want to learn how to write short stories and all the short story writers want to learn how to write a novel because it's like rare that someone can really switch between the two i mean with any sort of alacrity yeah i i feel that because i've i have wanted it seems so much fun to get in these anthologies and you know it just seems great and i I've, I've tried it and it just doesn't seem to work out where i'm happy with it um so i would have been one of those novelists saying hey can we do a short story workshop <laughs> um, so yeah I'm, I'm i'm right there i'm right there with them yeah i hope that in the next couple of months, something does gestate and percolate, you know, in the proper way. So you can give it a whole other new kick at the can. Uh, we'll be looking forward to this essay that you're writing on these four urban legends. I'm excited to read that. So I'll put the links along in the show notes as well. So anyone can visit and in the show notes, uh, where would people find you online? So um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. So you can find me there. I am, I can guarantee you, I am the only Celso Hurtado out there. So I am not too difficult to find out there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm always uh, happy to hear from folks. That's unique. I am the only uh, Lydia Peaver, I think in the entire planet as well. And the ghost tracks, I, it sounds like a name that must have been taken at least one time in its life. But no, it's the only ghost track. So I highly recommend picking up the ghost tracks if people are interested in a very cool, darker, very grown-up YA. Thank you. With luck, we'll be able to catch up with you in a year or so. <laughs> we'll see if you've written anything since then or just catch up and see how it's going. Thank you so much for being on the show, Celso. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you, Lydia. I appreciate the invitation. It, it really means a lot. Great. Thanks. And have a nooky spooky day. <laughs> you too. And thus ends the bonus episode for today. And I'll thank you very much for listening. Of course, check back soon for more bonus episodes. These aren't found on the YouTube show. So as a special thank you to listeners of the podcast, here we are. You can find the essays at typicalbooks.com. And if you're interested in the full length episodes, check out the Patreon or Apple Podcasts. If there's anything that you think that I ought to be talking about on Typical Books, let me know and make sure you have an ooky, spooky day.